Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Welcome to the latest edition of the ASOS podcast, My Big Idea. Today, I'm speaking to Maureen Tongi, the French art dealer who at the age of just 23 opened her own gallery in Los Angeles. Last year, she co-founded MTA Art, the first talent agency to exclusively promote visual artists. As if that weren't enough, she is on the junior board of various cultural institutions, a member of the Thousand Network, and a young patron of the ICA. Here's Maureen's big idea. Hi, Maureen. Hello, Danielle. Thank you so much for doing the ASOS podcast with us. My pleasure. So today we are doing the podcast in West London in a really cool location, um, the Gasworks. Yes. Um, can you tell our listeners why we're here? Um, so we're in the studio of my artist, Carlette Berman, um, which is probably why we both sit on stools um, surrounded by <laughs> lots of funny never, works. I've never done a podcast like <laughs> no, this before. it's very inventive. <laughs> um, and, and I just thought it was quite interesting to be in the actual meets of where the works are being created, which is why it's suggested as to you. So Scarlett Bowman is one of your yes. artists um, that you represent as part of your agency. Yeah, that's correct. Do you correct. want to explain what your agency does, what you yeah. do? So I think the agency is inspired from CA, which is like a tight agency in the States that I used to... Um, boost actors and directors that were created in the 70s and they had people like Steven Spielberg and like a lot of the big weight. What in, was that one called? Um, CAA. C- oh yeah, CAA. Yeah, yeah. I, know. <laughs> I, mean, I was like <laughs> the French accent. Yeah. Um, and I think um, when I was actually in LA and I opened my first gallery there, I was trying to find a way to be there for my artists at all times. And I found that the gallery system was only giving a show once a year. Um, and I found that in comparison, if you looked at um, the agency system for musicians, but also actors and also like, you know, even in publishing, um, they seem to be behind their talents every month. Um, and I didn't want to just take care of one exhibition a year. I actually wanted to be taking care of the PR and also the talks, international exhibition, make sure the logistics was OK, the studios were OK. So I kind of wanted a full machine behind the talents I believed in. So I think the talent agency model seemed more suited to where I wanted to go business-wise was than the Gary model. So you've taken the talent agency model, like the CAA one, yeah. and then you've applied it to art and artists. I did, and strangely right. enough, that's the only field um, where talent agencies as such do not exist. So if you look at musicians, if you look at actors, directors, sportive, they all have a form of management structure. Um, somehow, um, the art world is the only place where there's not such structure. How did you find that out? Did... Um, so I think I was like, so I was obsessed with um, art patrons when I was very young. So I love Peggy Goodnight. 
um, which I hope is okay accent-wise. Peggy and Guggenheim, <laughs> for anyone that didn't get that. She's a great lady, so I didn't want to miss the accent on that. And then Jetch was tiny as well. And I kind of, I was obsessed with the idea of, you know, when you, you know, in the, at the end of 19th century or beginning of 20th century, you used to have real artist-led movement and you used to have patrons, like, nurturing and supporting those talents for them to, you know, like, create their works, but also um, progress as far as they possibly could. Um, and I felt that, you know, with the, the current price of real estate and the cost of living, you're forced to almost put a lot of pressure on the talents to either go for, like, overly commercial artists, either already established artists. But the idea of taking a young one and to really grow it to the top just wasn't there. So I think um, when I opened my first gallery, I thought I was going to be super, super happy about the whole idea um, of opening a gallery and having my artists and having shows. But it felt somehow it just it wasn't as much there for the talents. So give me an example of exactly what you do when you have an artist from when you scout them to how you develop them. For example, um, Scarlett so, might be a good example. Yeah. We're sitting in her studio here today. Yes. So. so I think in terms of like Scarlett, you know, I would I would help on the studio cost. I will sometimes help on the production cost. Um, I would, you know, I mean, Scarlett and I talk every day, if not every two days. That will actually means it's not going well if it's every two days. <laughs> but um, so there, there's a very close relationship and that could be from anything to logistics um, to you know to advising on the works themselves but also to regularly sell her works to making sure that actually she has a revenue um, on a yearly basis more than just a monthly basis with that show but also advising on the show she can take part in and also you know, we have those big shows that we do during the fair, so in New York and in Paris, and that's a great exposure for her. We also did talks as well, so like she was part of a few conferences and talks that we led. Um, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's so varied. You very, very much have someone handling as much value that they possibly need. So you find the artist and you help. How do you find the artist? How do, um, through, I think, through various recommendations. Um, it was very strange with Scarlett. She was suggested to me by four people. So actually we knew each other for a little while. And I, it wasn't one of those things where I was just like, well, clearly I have to meet that person because people keep on saying, you two must get along and you will like each other. And, and I think it's through recommendation. I'm really actually looking for that many new artists because our program is so full on behind them um, that we're less about having a big marketplace of people. We're more about having just a few and the really strong one we believe in. And I think also... So how many do you have now? We have total, we have 14 artists currently. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's still a little crew. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to look after. It's not many nights in. Um, and I think also because you put money in them and you put a lot of resources, you actually... And you've got a yearly commitment. You're probably less likely to take on everyone. You right. just you're going to take on a few that you really strongly believe in. So you look after them in terms of finding them studio space and what, yeah, what else? I mean, yeah. So I think like will help on the studio costs. Would help on. Um, I mean, for instance, my clients for Scarlett is bringing back some materials for her to be creating. Uh, will help on direct advising business-wise because this happened as well. They need advising. I think one thing I realized when I was um, in business that you know I did you know I, I was very much an artistic mind, but I just didn't have any business understanding. And actually, artists when they start doing well and start having loads of sales, they still need to manage themselves administratively and legally and financially-wise. So. You know, it's it's why probably answers seem vague, but there's probably about 20 things we do on a daily basis. Like, there's so many different things where we can help. The point being is to really have 
an advice an advisor like we'll have an advisor in business that will become that person in partnership that's really behind that all time so it could be on any subject i mean i'm going to a wedding for instance and i can give me on any any thing <laughs> so this is why probably mine's was like quite vague about it okay and so how did you get to this point because you're still so young you're 25 and um obviously you have this amazing company um and you're from France, yeah. um, a small island in France called Ile de Ré. Um, tell us about how you got to where you are now. Um, I think, so I, I think I was quite a stubborn little character from an early age. Um, on my island, there was absolutely nothing going on. I have to say island, by the way, because that's one thing that I struggle with saying. Um, <laughs> but, and I think I read, as I said, a lot on art patrons and I was... I was someone that just, I was quite idealistic. I didn't have much pragmatism when I was younger. Um, so I technically made pretty much all the mistakes you can ever make very early because I was stubborn yet very idealistic. What do you mean by make mistakes? Um, I think, um, you know, like I think, for instance, I wanted to partnership without reading the 40 pages contract and all those things that you do when you're full of beans. So hang on, how <laughs> old were you when you decided that this was what I you was wanted to do? Um, so I used to manage a gallery just before. And, and were then, you still in France at this no, point? No, so I left, I left from, um, from friends to here at 19 and I got into the art world quite early. I did an internship at BBC for the cultural show. Was that your first job? Yeah, in- and, and I loved it. I think it seemed that the art world was full of those mad yet um, people that were still structured. So I liked the eccentricity, but I also liked the fact that they were in business. So I kind of felt this is great. I didn't want to wear a suit. I didn't want the whole corporate feel. But I also wanted to still be in business somehow. And I liked the fact that you could somehow be a bit mad if you wanted to. And if you justify it business-wise, it was still a possibility. Mm-hmm. So I liked this BBC. And then I got into art fairs. Um, I used to um, direct art fairs in London, New York and Paris for a gallery. And that, this is how I got spotted to be uh, managing a gallery. And very quickly got spotted by an investor to open my own gallery in LA. Okay, so that's... that's kind of the full. If you want the full CV, that's <laughs> kind of what the CV. <laughs> Don't ask me why, but at 24, that was a good idea to take me to run um, his stand at Berkeley Square, a uh, pad art fair. And so I, he, so you met this guy, and he had a space yeah. at a tent. Yeah, he had like a stand at, at a fair art fair. And yeah, at the pad art fair, and he just thought that would be a good idea to put me on the stand. Um, and I think I was, I was very ignorant, but I just, I was full of energy. So somehow it turned out to be well, even though I just I was absolutely clueless about everything I was doing. And through a lot of being clueless, this is how you get to that point, really. And how did you get to the point where you're in LA? That's the, I'm, I'm still not so quite clear on that I was managing bit. the gallery... Th- I'm so sorry. And <laughs> no, I apologise, it's really interesting. I was managing the gallery The Outsiders, and then um, actually was doing the summer. Um, someone called Steph Sebag walked in and... Um, said, you know, heard of me and they would love to actually do a gallery with me and split it 50-50 partnership. Um, the gallery was called after the, the island in France that came from Dore Gallery. And that's how very much I ended up in Beverly Hills slash Hollywood Hills. Okay, and what <laughs> happened? How did you find the experience of suddenly being in LA with your own gallery? Um, I think that's the thing. I think I just, I thought the gallery would be the end for me. In a sense, I thought I wanted to have a gallery. And then there in LA, I just realized that wasn't it. I wasn't satisfied. I just felt like, I felt I was just, I was taking care of a shop. I was mixing different works every month, hanging them in the same way. But I just felt more like a shopkeeper than my very idealistic idea of having a gallery. So the people who might want to do something similar to what you're doing and 
it sounds like you, it's quite good to find someone to go into business with. What's yeah. the best way to do to that? To go into then? business, I think in America, especially with the contract, I think point A. <laughs> <laughs> point B, I think it sounds silly because partnership is a bit like a marriage where I feel you need to just ask yourself the core question, the core belief and set of values you may have. Um, there's nothing wrong against F&I, but we just had a very different idea of which type of business we wanted to lead. And I think it's, you know, obviously you're extremely excited when someone say, I want to invest so much on your head. So you think it's just terribly mm -hmm. exciting. But a bit like in, in the marriage where I think you can jump into it. Not that I haven't done, done that, but I've done that in the partnership side where you just probably don't ask, okay, so where do you see yourself in 10 years time? Um, what's your set of values? What's your set of belief? Silly things like this, but I actually think you forget that this can go wrong. Mm. And, and if it does go wrong, you kind of want to have a set of okay. values. And if you want to meet those people who you want to, who might help you go into business or <clears throat> you might want to do some kind of partnership with you in the art world, where's the best place to meet these people? To, for advice, um, so I think now we're part of a lot of, um, of communities which I kind of learned to develop alongside, alongside with these issues. Um, I'm part of the Fazan Network, um, which is like a great... Fazan Network. Yeah, which is yeah. a great network of entrepreneurs. Um, and so you can ask for an accountant, a lawyer, you can also ask for a great contact, you can ask for anything. Um, I'm also part of the collective, which is supported by actually the taxes of a lot of businesses of Camden. Um, and North London and what they do is they support us then um, office basis wise but also advice wise and contact wise so um, there's actually if you look a lot of network and gathering that happen where you can ask questions and silly questions like PR I've got to look at a contract how do I do um, and also just listening to critics and advice as much as you can to these people but there's a plenty of that yeah. um, so I would just identify what are people you actually like And then that will go to that kind of network because it's not about going to any networks. And then usually you align yourself with people that you, you tend to be quite similar to. And then at that point, that can be really good advice. So I think, yeah, any collective is really good. Uh, being a young patron of the ICF, that helps as well. Um, you have a lot of museums that have a young patrons program. Barbican has this, uh, Tate, uh, Serpentine, a lot of them have this. So you can then enter the, the patronage and then you meet other young people who clearly want to make a bit of a difference so then you can have an extra network so I just advise on networking yeah. basically and okay so from the gallery you were doing in LA um, to setting up your own business yeah talk me through how that happened so um, so the the gallery in LA lasted about a year um, and well I think it happened it was my first failure in a sense um, so why I, was it if when you say a failure why was it a failure because you just it was you know it was the wrong um, the wrong partnership in a sense and um, and so I But think did it fail financially or no it just felt out of two visions that are very separate right um, um, so yeah I think it was a first failure um, and uh, you know the partnership failed um, what it, did you learn from that huge um, I just it, it's quite American to say this but I do recommend failure especially <laughs> failure early I mean I it's hell you spend three months on the sofa thinking your life is over especially when you're young oh, like yeah. like life can be quite dramatic but I think it's funny because um, part of the Fazan network actually part of also this entrepreneurial network a lot of people have failed you know the so first time how did is, is the thousand network something that helped pick you up or how did, yeah, you, how did you get off the sofa Well, so you, well, I think you don't realize that when you hit the bottom, you actually do question yourself on all the core 
um, questions and where you want to head. And despite not realizing it, your brain is doing the most important part of um, what you need, you know, the most important part for you to head next to something that's quite exciting. So, um, and, and a lot of entrepreneurs like, you know, Ryanair, uh, founder, a lot of the top entrepreneurs have actually gone through that experience. And at that point, the little idealistic being that you were also meets pragmatism, which was about time, and that's great because when the two actually meet, this is usually when things, very exciting things happen. And you just re-question yourself about your values and what really matters in business for you, what you're really good at. Um, and, and, you know, I think technically looking back, this is the best thing that ever happened. I think if I compare um, the business models of my two businesses, I mean, there's nothing comparison, you know, like we... We, we're profitable, we're, doing, we're aligning ourselves with people that I just terribly respect. We're backed up so by tell, good people. Just back up a second and tell me about how... So you took all the things you learned from your gallery in LA yeah. and decided to sit up on your own. Yeah. Um, how was that different and how did you go about doing it? I think... Well, I don't know if it's a woman thing, but I think actually um, the first time, the first month, you make a few sales and then you think... Um, okay, well, I'm clearly making money and this is happening. So, so maybe... did you go about it by finding the artist first or how did you get I the funding? I a lot of them. So I think that's, that's the thing I would advise for my business is I would just not go in it without relationship. So despite a failure, like there was, I had still my clients and I still had people I was talking to and I still had the artists I was trusting. So I think you still have that pool. Um, so... You know, I, I would. I think this is a kind of businesses, and I think yours is quite similar on that basis. Where relationships are key. If you don't have people with you, you could have the most impressive business model ever drawn, but it would not make an impact. Um, and I just have also very lucky to have two business mentor who were also backing me up at that time. How and, did you find them? Um, the first one, Yannick Pont, uh, where she bought Scarlet, was one of my uh, first one who bought Scarlet um, six years ago. Um, he's a very accomplished French businessman and. Um, and I was very cheekily when he bought a work of art an art fair said you know I would love to have uh, some form of investment because I want to like try so to so you actually asked him directly I for did. investment I did and he was just like you do realise that's very inappropriate but we can talk about it over <laughs> a cup of tea and then and I actually just saw him a few days ago and when I was right, um, when I just finished my first partnership, he gave me the key to his house in Chelsea because he's never in this country. And he um, and he just said, just use it. So I was actually depressed but in a very beautiful home in Belgravia. <laughs> so like, nice. it was a very nice setting. So I think you, um, and you have people in business who believe in you. And, you know, like just a classic example of someone that now has, um, you know, three businesses and done extremely well and yet failed twice, you know. So this... You know, he was just like, this is going to be the greatest thing. Like, you're not saying it, obviously, right now. But this is, I think, talking about failure more openly helps people mm-hmm. to just get on with what they do business-wise. So I think I just sold uh, a few things to realize it was doing well. I had the idea of a talent agency that was something that was in my mind for quite a while. And I had reflected in L.A. as well. So um, you just do. You just register your company. You're completely petrified about it. Um, you hide yourself under the pillowcase thinking something's going to go terribly wrong and then it keeps on going well and then you're just like it's not going wrong yeah. and then you know you just end up with a team like we have yeah. now and so. now you have an office <laughs> yeah Where's, where are you based well so actually we just moved um next to your office uh, because we're now on Hampstead Road 
Um, so that's Neighbors. supported by the collective. <laughs> yes, so that's very exciting. And, you know, and it's great. Like, we've got meeting rooms and boardrooms, and we've got, we've got my little team as well. And it's like, what are so how many here? people do you employ now? So Francesca is on business development. Um, so she rethinks um, long-term strategies. Then we've got Fabio, which is head of digital. Then we've got Polina, which is in research communication. Um, then we also could help on the branding side as well at times. Um, then I have people for events, particularly so photographers, video maker, and then you know the boring content as well, which is always <laughs> needed. Um, and the person you hate going to see, but you have to do somehow, and the lawyer as well. And what's your plan for developing the company? So going forward? We, we're quite an exciting time because we're still babies. Like we go celebrate like a year, but like in a month or so, and we've raised fund, so the company got valued, uh, which is like wow. terribly exciting. And and that that means you know, we, one of our big coup before um, is in New York, which is in three weeks time. So I'm flying, you know, my top artist to New York, um, business class actually supported by like company um, airline, and then I'm accommodating them in Williamsburg, and then we've got that big event which is by Union Square. Uh, supported by my clients, which is amazing because it's a so huge building. This is for freeze. Yes, this is for New freeze. Yeah. yeah, and and we've had Uber sponsoring New York universities behind. So, so you got Uber to sponsor your well, event. my artists and clients would just be happily bumbling away, driving away. How do away. you? Um, how did you organise that? So I p- think the second a second advice that we just uh, give is that just ask. It sounds so, so silly. So you approach them. Yeah, you just it sounds so silly, but like you develop relationship and people can clearly see you work hard at what you do and like, there's a trust going towards this. But I think we forget that it's, it's semi negotiation in business. If you just ask, you, you just may get. And actually <laughs> I think the most extraordinary thing that Francesca and I could still not believe is that we got sponsored um shipping wise. And that's incredible because that's basically your worst nightmare. Um, and, you know, it, people want to be associated with the brand, and that's terribly exciting. And I think in business, you just ask, and if you construct a deal and people respect you, it somehow happens. But I think we're probably petrified of asking in the first place. <laughs> but somehow it can work. So yeah. we, we ask, and Amazing. they said yes. We can't really understand why, but it's all happening so far. So. It's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and just a quick question before we finish. There's something I'm obsessed with this week, and I keep talking to people about it in the office, but um, business cards. Bis- do you I, use the, business cards? I haven't had business cards for ages now. Do you know anyone who uses business cards? Still? No, but I think we girls, we've got, I've got like so many coats and, um, you know, and bags and purses. And so basically all the reasons why I will not remember why my card is somewhere. <laughs> so like either the card is one of my own cards. Um, so I find it always stressful to remember my keys are. I think like my business cards is like the level above. So what I do is I actually take the details of the person directly on the phone yeah. as screen capture. So before I go to bed, all people I've talked to throughout the evening, I can just email them. So I always remember. That's smart. But I think, well, it is smart if you have battery. (laughs) When you don't have battery anymore, I think it might not be as bright. But um, but I just think, yeah, as a girl, I just felt like... It's just... Also, I just found it a bit... um, A bit... Uh, full on um, actually it's got an old fashioned gesture at times it can work I think I'm just more into the relationship um, so I think I like the more subtle acts especially because a lot of them I will be meeting them at dinners and I just feel that across the dinner table I didn't really feel inclined to actually give a business cards that much for more and also we've got so many ways to actually normally that person will have a similar network so actually you have Facebook now and Snapchat and Instagram so you can actually find that person without mm. just handling that what, business card what's your favourite network for making connections with in the art world 
Um, I think Instagram, a lot of people will say probably number one because there's visuals. Okay. Um, but actually, Facebook worked out. Like the, the last client of um, Scarlett was someone that just followed me on Facebook for the past six months and was just like, really like the energy, want to write the work now. So, so it's really important then to have a really good energy. <laughs> energy, yeah. Like full of energies. <laughs> I agree. I think like that's the thing with our generation, which is, I think is quite overwhelming, where you have to scan through six networks a day and some clients will like prefer to talk on WhatsApp and some clients will prefer to talk on Facebook. And if you miss, miss you know, if you mix who prefers to talk where, um, you know, the person will be a bit upset. So you end up having to scan through when you finish your email. So you thought that was the first achievement number one. Actually, you still got texts, calls, WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. So you're not even slightly <laughs> near having finished like contacting people. And I think that's the thing. We, it's just there's so many ways to communicate in a great way because we communicate fast, mm. and that's how we met anyway. But in um, in um, in a very overwhelming way, I think time wise. What time do you get to bed? Um, I think quite proactive. So we go to bed, my boyfriend and I actually, because he's as working as I am, as much working. So I think we probably go to bed at like 1, one thirty. He gets up at like 6 a.m. I just, Whoa. I want to murder him every day, but I get up probably at 6.30 or 7 a.m. So not that much sleep. <laughs> it's like, I think the, the first three to four years of entrepreneurship, I just don't think you can factoring slip. Um, I think it's really, it's like a house. If you put the right foundation set, I think this is where it gets safe. Um, and so I'm really on the foundation time. Mm. So no, slip will be for later. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Maureen. It was Pleasure. really exciting and good luck in New York. Thanks. Thank you so much. So that was Maureen Tungi talking about her big idea. Tune in next week to hear the next My Big Idea and check out previous episodes on Acast, iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Bye!